Um, so we're gonna um, we're gonna look in Matthew chapter four, and when we pray, we're gonna be praying for the the Java people of Indonesia. Um, that is thirty six million people. Um, they are they are Muslim. The complete Bible is in their language, and yet fewer than two percent of them. Uh, know Christ. And so we're going to pray that God would do a great and mighty work among them and bring them to himself. Uh, So Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, says this, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you speak to us from your word. We thank you that in Christ we have this treasure, a word from you. A word that can lead and guide and teach and encourage. We thank you for the example that we have in your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we have in your word. And we thank you for the fact that it clarifies and brings great truth to our lives. We pray, Father, that you would use your word to teach us this morning about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. We pray that that you would lead and guide us on our journey. Lord, we lift up the Java people, 36 million who do not know you, who don't have the opportunity of, of hearing the voice of the one who said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we pray that the gospel would go forward among them. We pray that as we have given, as our, as our giving as a church makes it to missionaries, that the gospel would go forth. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now in your word. We pray that you would use us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, as, as, as many of us have, have uh, taken different jobs or uh, gotten into different friendships and relationships, many, many times uh, there's this initial wondering when, when, we, when we take a new job, uh, who, is this, who is this person that I'm going to be working for? Um, maybe you, you responded to an ad or you submitted an application online and then you, you met the person who's going to be employing you and you, you hear certain things from them and you think, okay, this sounds good, but what will it really be like? 
right? What will, what will this look like in a year? What will it look like in two years? Maybe you've had that experience with a friend where somebody you initially didn't like, right? Your first impression of them was not good. But then over time you realize this is somebody I really, I really want to be in relationship with. Uh, I want to have this extended friendship. This person is good for me. Or maybe it was the reverse. This person is, is not good for me. Um, we, we need to evaluate relationships and see whether or not we are being used, right? Or whether or not we are in a, in a true relationship that brings benefit to both people. Um, it's important as we consider discipleship that we get a, a true biblical view, that we see what Jesus says about his intent as he calls his disciples. Because many times I think in the Christian life, we can feel like Jesus is barely tolerating us, right? That, that we are so sinful and so prone to failure that, uh, that God the Father desires to strike us down, right? And he would just be done with this with us. But Jesus is there, right, protecting us from, from the wrath of God. Sometimes we feel like, like, like we're just such enormous failures. Um, it helps then to hear Jesus' intent as he calls his disciples. It's helpful to hear him say, this is what I'm calling you to. This is what I'm calling you for. And I would say this as we begin and consider this topic this morning. The call to discipleship is a call to surrender. The call to discipleship is a call to surrender, but not a call that expects perfection or rejects our identity as human beings, as individuals. So, so Jesus is going to call his first disciples, and he's going to call them to surrender, but he's not going to call them in a way that expects perfection from them, a standard that they can never live up to, and he's not going to reject who they are, um, who, who they have been throughout their lives, although he is going to call them to leave certain things behind. So let's look at the, the setting here. What we have is uh, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is, is walking. He has begun his preaching ministry, and he's growing uh, in some degree of, of fame as he preaches the gospel. We saw that in verse 17. The, the, the message of the gospel that Jesus is preaching is repent. The kingdom of God is at hand, calling people to acknowledge that one day judgment will come and that they need to repent of wickedness and sinfulness and put their faith and trust in him because the kingdom is coming and if they want to survive, they need to be citizens of that kingdom. So he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 12 by 9 miles. I don't know why it's relevant, but I'm just going to share the fact that it is 682 feet below sea level. I don't know. Maybe if you know anything about water and boats and stuff, you're like, oh, I understand now. I don't. Um, it is also prone to violent storms, and we'll see this in the future. Um, in, in the gospel, that, that they will go out on a boat and a storm will hit. There are, there are nine cities on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, one of them is, is Bethsaida, which is, uh, you could translate it, fish town, um, which, is, which means that this is a place where, where there's quite a bit of fishing activity going on. Um, the people of that town are, are fishermen. This is what they do. I'm, uh, I'm listening to this book right now that, um, that was made into a movie, In the Heart of the Sea, and, uh, and in, that, in that book, the, uh, the story is told about the, uh, of Nantucket and how those people lived 
and breathed wailing. This was what they were obsessed with. Um, their, their, their entire uh, community was built around sending these boats out for two or three years at a time and, uh, and the men hunting down these whales and, and all that was involved in it. This was their, their whole life and their livelihood. And I believe that this is very much what it meant to live on the Sea of Galilee, to be, to be obsessed with and thinking about and focusing on fishing. Um, it is likely that this is happening near where Jesus lived, uh, the town of Capernaum, where um, Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John worked. Uh, we'll see perhaps later, I'm not sure if this happens in the book of Matthew or not, that uh, Peter goes home to his house and his mother-in-law is there. I believe that is in Bethsaida. Um, so, so Jesus is in a fishing community. Um, we're going to see uh, the way that the story unfolds and what the call to discipleship looks like. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. So Jesus sees these brothers, Simon, who's called Peter. We're not exactly sure why he's called Peter. Uh, the word Petros in Greek means stone. Maybe he was a tough guy. He was a hard man, you know, like, like he made, you know, the hard face. If you've seen this on, on Facebook, um, you know, this is a meme that's rolling around where people are making these tough guy faces. Um, he, he was a, maybe he was a tough guy, and that's why they called him Stone. Um, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And he sees them casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Um, what, they're, what they're doing here is not standing on boats and throwing a net, but likely they're in the water and they're, um, they're, they're fishing for close to the shore kind of fish. This is not put out deep into the water uh, and let down the nets. This is a circular net. It's, it's quite graceful. You know, have you ever seen anybody make a pizza, right? And then you're like, I can do that, right? You know, and then you try, not quite so easy. This net um, needs to be wrapped in a very particular way. And then when you throw it, it fans out. In a, in, a, in a large pattern, and then when you draw the rope, the net, the net contracts. And so this is, a very, uh, this is a graceful thing that takes quite a bit of ability. They're casting the net into the sea. Why are they doing that? They're fishermen. They're fishermen. We'll see what that means in just a moment. Uh, verse 19 says, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. What is it that we ought to learn about the call to follow Jesus? What it means to be a Christian? What do we learn from these verses? First, this truth. Know that following means abiding. Know that following means abiding. What does that mean? Abiding uh, we you don't use the word abide very much. Um, you may use a, a word similar to that if, uh, if, if you describe your home, right? You could properly call it your abode. It's where you live. It's where you stay. When you're done with your job, it's where you go, right? You know, you have your, your chair there, right? And your cup and your spoon and your table and your bed. All of your stuff is in your abode, and that is where you abide, where you live. Jesus calls these men and he says to them, follow me. Come with me. Be with me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says immediately they left their nets and followed him. Following 
means actually walking with and spending time with Jesus. It's not just saying, I am no longer what I was. I am now a Christian. I have changed my affiliation, my religion, my political party, uh, the team that I root for. You know, I once rooted for um, this team, and now I, I, I call or, or, or cheer for that team. It means actually walking with and spending time with Jesus. It involves togetherness. He said to them, come and follow me. This is a different category of people than we're going to see in just a couple verses. In a couple of verses, we're going to see a, a massive group of people following Jesus around. But this is distinct and different. Jesus calls them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They're not just those who listen and who, who, who perceive what he's saying and say, wow, is that true or not? But they physically follow him. They left where they were and they walked with him. They spent an enormous amount of time with Jesus. We're going to see the implications of this in just a second. They, they left where they were. They lived in this town, in this place. They, they cast their nets into the sea in this particular patch of sea. You know, you, you think about what the shore of the eastern shore looks like, and people have got their boat slips, right? They've got their, their individual place, and this is where they let out and go out into the water, or they, you see guys fish off the sides of bridges around town, right? And that's where they fish. And Jesus says, follow me, and they begin to leave that behind. They leave where they are, and they walk with him. Jesus is gathering a community out of the world. He's calling them to follow him. And we are doing something similar as a church, as we gather and worship each and every week. Jesus is gathering a community that hears him, right? We hear his word and we see him work. We see his work in our lives. And he's calling a community to embrace those who follow him. We gather in Jesus' family. And this is what he's doing. He's calling these two men to follow him, to abide with him, to be with him, to spend time with him, to learn from him. And we're going to see in a moment to be changed and transformed. We see a similar passage in Mark chapter 3, verse 13. It says, and he went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might, here it is, so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. I believe that when it comes to our Christian life, many of us, we hear the gospel, right? We hear the, the, the truth, the news that, that in the eyes of God that we have sinned against him, that our relationship is fractured, right? And that, and that we are alienated from him and that if we put our faith and trust in Christ, we can be made right with him. That's, that's what we hear. And then we view our Christian lives as barely making it, right? We feel bad that we are not holier. We feel horrible that, that we are not doing enough. We, we, we try to pray and we struggle in prayer and we think, why is this difficult? And we think, maybe it's because I'm a bad Christian. We try to read God's word and we say, I don't, I don't, 
I don't understand this or that, or I don't know. Some people around me, they know all this stuff about the Bible, and I know so little. Many of you feel guilty that somehow you're not doing enough as a Christian. And I would, I would, I want to say on the other side of what I'm about to say is the idea that we ought to be zealous for good works, that we ought to work hard, that we ought to pray, that we ought to persevere in reading the word. But there's a truth that comes before that, and that's this. Realizing the fact that when we believe the gospel, when we hear God's word and we hear the call of God to be in relationship with him, We need to realize that that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that he is happy with us, that he delights in us, that he wants to spend time with us, that we might be with him. Jesus calls these men out from their lives. Not He doesn't instruct them, change these 17 things about yourself and then you will be acceptable to me. He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This journey of following will change them. They will be different, but the journey in and of itself is what it transforms. They don't have to be something different before they start following. They're motivated to follow because of the idea of relationship. Understand that following Jesus doesn't happen all at once. If you look at the gospel accounts, we'll see that, that following, their following of Jesus advances by degrees, right? Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 35 through 51, John the Baptist points out, Behold the Lamb of God, and John and Andrew and others follow Jesus, and they, and they learn from him, and then they go back to their work. They, they hear of Jesus and they think, this is, this is interesting. I want to know more about this man. And they learn some things and then they go back to being fishermen. Some scholars believe that what happens in Luke chapter 5 verse 1 happens right before this event right here. That, that Jesus is, is teaching and that a crowd gathers around him and he gets into a boat. Imagine, if you're just a, a local fisherman, there's this crowd of people, you're trying to do your job, you've come in from a long night of, of fishing and so here's this man Peter and he's brought his boat in, he's worked all night, he's caught nothing and the master, in order to avoid getting knocked into the water by the crowd, just sits down in the boat, your boat. And you're kind of standing there and you're like, all right, I guess, I guess I'm here. can't can't go anywhere. The crowd, you know, so you're like maybe fixing your nets or whatever, you know, getting things ready for the next day. And then Jesus says, push out into the water. Just let's let's go out into the water. And he's like, I just fished all night. What are you talking about? Right? And so, so they push out and Jesus says, let the nets down on this particular side of the boat. Let them, let them down on the, the left side of the boat. There's probably some nautical term. And, uh, and, and, and they're like, we just did this. We are expert fishermen. And Jesus says, go ahead, light down. And they're like, all right. You know, we're not going to dishonor this honored teacher. And so they, they let the net down on the other side. <clears throat> Does it really matter? Which, you know, you drop the bait down under the boat. It's all water under there, right? You know, it's all the same place. So they throw the net down, and all of a sudden, there are so many fish in the, in, in the net, and they're, they're, they're trying to haul it in. They're like, you know, we've, we have hit the jackpot here. And so they're, they're trying to, to haul the net in. They have to call for the other boat, you know, push off, come out here, help us. And it says that the net is, is threatening to break. And Peter's response to this when they get back into shore is he says, he says, 
depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He's convicted by Jesus' holiness and, and his lack of holiness, his sinfulness. He's advancing by degrees. He's learning more of Jesus and more about himself. And so now he's gathered and called. Jesus goes and he sees these men and he stands on the shore as they're working and he says, hey, leave beside, leave, leave it, leave what you're doing. Follow me and I'll make you into fishers of men. The good news of the gospel is that we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. What does that mean? It means that though we have sinned against God, though we've, we've angered God and, and fractured our relationship with him, that, that Jesus goes to the cross for us. He takes our place, what, what some theologians have called the great exchange, that, that when he goes to the cross, he takes our punishment and we receive his righteousness. There's a swap that takes place. We get the much better deal when we put our faith and trust in Christ. We get, we get the righteousness Christ, all the good works that he ever did, all the ways in which he never sinned are credited or attributed to us, and we are robbed of our sinfulness, and that's put on Jesus. There's good news for us. The good news is this, that when Jesus calls us, when he says, follow me, and we say, how can I possibly follow you? I'm a sinful human being. I, I cannot stand to be in your presence. Depart from me. I'm, I'm sinful. We realize that we don't have to be perfect in order to begin to follow. We don't have to be perfect in order to follow. Following means that Jesus brings who we are along with him when he calls us. Think about what will happen in the lives of the disciples. They will fail enormously. They will fail to understand what Jesus is saying. They will, they will make great boasts. They will, they will uh, follow Jesus on his gospel preaching ministry. He'll travel through Samaria and they'll, they'll be upset with Jesus, the Samaritans, that he won't stay. And James and John will say, should we call down fire on these people and burn them up? You know, imagine that. If I were to say, hey, we're going to try to reach a particular segment of people, a particular group of people in our city, and then we go out and we, we do some kind of evangelism, they don't listen, right? And some people get up at the next church business meeting and say, let's go burn those people up. <laughs> like, this is a fatal error, right? You know, like, this is not good. The disciples are going to do these kinds of things. Peter will say, I will never leave you or abandon you or forsake you. And then... He'll be confronted by three people, and each time he'll deny who Jesus is. Massive failure in the future. <clears throat> Jesus knows this, doesn't he? And yet he calls them anyway. So when it comes to discipleship, we start following Jesus understanding this, that he is our perfection, and that we, therefore, do not need to be perfect. You don't need to say, well, I'm not good enough at this. Relax. It'll come in time. You'll, you'll feel the conviction that you need to learn to pray more, and then you, you, you start working at that. 
You might say, well, you know, I don't have the gifts to follow Jesus. I'm not, I'm not that or I'm not this. You are who God has sovereignly made you. He has brought you through your life circumstances to this point, and he will continue to guide you and lead you. The start of the journey of following Christ doesn't require massive change. It requires faith and belief in the truth of the gospel. It requires an understanding that, that when Jesus says, follow me, that you must leave certain things behind in order to follow him. You need to, you need to abandon certain pursuits. These guys are not going to be able to remain fishermen and follow. But they need to be willing. They need to acknowledge and believe. The change and the challenge and the growth are part of the journey and he will be with you the entire time. Second or third, or whatever, I've kind of lost track of my points here. Know that, know that on the journey, that God is quite fond of you. As Christians, I believe we can, we can take a, a healthy self-evaluation and realize that we are not, as my wife would say, all that and a bag of chips, right? We are not, we are not uh, God's gift to the world. Jesus is God's gift to the world. God is God's gift to the world. And we look at ourselves in comparison to God and we rightly conclude, I am not him. I am, I am a failure compared to God. I am deficient in comparison to God. And we can make much of that. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge something else. That God is actually quite fond of us. That God loves us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, But because of God's great mercy... When we were dead and since he raised us up and made us alive with Christ. Um, I'm kind of, I, I, like, I like things. I, I, maybe I'm a, uh, a recovering hoarder, you know. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to get rid of certain things. But the things that I really like, I tend to try to organize. My, my kids um, know that they're not supposed to take certain stuff. Um, I have this orange washi tape. You know, I love washi tape. It's so much fun. Um, it's just this kind of thin masking tape-like tape, but mine is orange, and I will mark stuff that's mine. You know, that thumb drive with the orange tape on it, mine. You know, just, just so, that, so that we're clear about that. And I like my stuff, and I like to have it all like organized and together and where I can get at it because th these are the things that I use on a regular basis. I want them all to be there and I love them. The value there is not so much in the things, is it? Because right, when it comes down to it, like any pen will write on paper. Any sheet of paper will do. Any thumb drive will do. Any, any index card is good. But the things that are mine, you know why the value's there? The value's there because I place the value in it. Value comes from the valuator. You may have a pristine comic book or a perfect baseball or football card. The value is there because you value it and someone else values it, right? Otherwise, it's just cardboard. But somebody will come along and say, I will pay you an enormous amount of money for that so that I can possess it and own it. Why? Because they perceive value in it. And nothing's worth anything if there's not somebody willing to pay the price for it. It is true 
that Jesus goes to the cross and takes the sin of those whom he is dying for on himself to vindicate his glory and the glory and honor of his father. That is true. Jesus dies to pay for the sin of those who will come to him. But Jesus also sheds his blood of infinite worth to purchase sinners for himself whom he values. God is quite fond of you. If you believe the gospel, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you must know you should believe, you ought to fight on a regular basis to believe this truth that God loves you and that he's calling you to himself. And following means that he set his affections on you, he's calling you on this journey, and now he's going to begin to reshape you. The journey of discipleship is a reshaping of the ordinary. Jesus calls these men as fishermen. He calls fishermen, it says in verse 19, I will make you fishers of men. Um, They were casting a net, it says in verse 19, I believe, or 18, because they were fishermen. This is their trade. This is who they are. And so Jesus comes along and says, I will take you, ordinary fishermen, and I'm going to transform you into something else. Now, in Luke 5.10, you will be catching men. He takes these ordinary men and their ordinary tasks, and he's going to transform them to do something extraordinary, which in the long run, is going to look very ordinary. Let's just think about the the mission of the Christian for a moment. Now you will be catching men. I will make you fishers of men. He's going to transform these men and their trade and turn them into something that will benefit and bless others. As a Christian, God's desire is to shape us into those who will do his will and who will accomplish his work in the world, which is what? Gathering in those whom he's called to himself. Building this community. This is what Jesus is starting to do right now. He's building his family. What uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible calls God's forever family. You know, calling these these people in. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Uh, there's this, this, this feeling in the idea of fishers of men that just kind of feels, might feel strange to us. God's sending us out into the world to fish for people, right? Does that feel odd? Like, it is no, it's no blessing, right, when you think about fishing. You go out there, you put some bait on a hook, you lower the hook into the water. Like, this is not good for the fish, Right? You know, the fish isn't like, oh, let me be caught. Maybe it's my turn to be caught today. Um, because because the, the blessing uh, to the person who's fishing is that you're going to take that fish and you're going to cut them up and slice them and uh, take the bones out and take the scales off and you're going to either throw them on the grill or throw them in a pan with a little bit of oil and some butter and some salt and some pepper and he's going on a plate, right? Um, you are using that fish for your own purposes. But when God calls Christians to catch other people, to fish for men, it is the greatest blessing for that person. Because when they are caught and brought, when they're they're shown 
who God is and what he has for them, they realize that, that they can experience this blessing of walking in fellowship with Christ as well, that their sins can be forgiven, that they have been found and brought to Jesus. God is quite fond of these sinners whom he's calling into fellowship with himself. Um, if, 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 let me say this again. Uh, there's a saw that I have. And, uh, and somebody, I have a hard time parting with certain tools. You know, like I said, they're my tools, they're my things. But I have a saw that, that it looks like at some point somebody took the saw and like stood it up. It took some effort and they, they uh, it was probably one of my kids. I doubt it was my wife. Um, they took the saw and they like took a hammer and like smashed the, the, the teeth. Like this, this takes some, some thought. Whack. Whack, whack. Now, if you, if you take that saw and you try to cut something with it, right, it's not going to work. Those teeth are, those teeth are smashed. They are, they are bent. And for all intents and purposes, that saw is ruined. The broken saw cuts badly. Every single human being is twisted and bent and broken by their sin. Um, ineffective unable to live out their purpose. But when God calls us to himself, when we are caught by the gospel, when we realize everything must change, I am a sinner, I need to repent and be made new and receive the Holy Spirit and be transformed. When we realize that, it is as if we have been straightened out. Our, 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 our flaws have been repaired. That the broken tool is now repaired and able to accomplish its purpose. The ordinary is reshaped to accomplish the extraordinary. There's some, something so strange about what Jesus is doing here to me, right? He preaches this message in, in 417, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? The kingdom is coming. The fulfillment of everything that God has been promising is coming, Right? That's, that's his message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then what does he do? He goes and he calls a couple fishermen. What is that? So if this were a movie, like, like if, if the movie was the entire Old Testament, it was like here are, here are all the expectations and all the things that are going to happen. You hear all the prophecies about David's son and the kingdom. And this were like the last five minutes of it. You'd be like, what was that? Give me my money back. Right? And he calls these fishermen to himself. It's kind of a paradox. Insignificant beginnings. Jesus will preach a parable and he'll say that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the tiniest of seeds planted in the ground, which grows and all the birds of the air and the beasts of the field are able to take shelter under it. The beginning of the kingdom of God begins with Jesus preaching, but it begins with his call of these ordinary men to follow him and to be changed, to be transformed, to be taken from fishing for fish and to be turned into fishers of men. So let me ask you the question as you consider this call this morning. When you consider your followership, when you consider your discipleship, when you consider the fact that you are in relationship with God, do you acknowledge that purpose? Do you, do you acknowledge why you are in fellowship with God? This is not just about being blessed. 
It's not just about receiving good from God, although that is part of it. It is receiving blessing to be a blessing. It is, it is taking who you are, who you have, have been created to be throughout the moments of your life as God has sovereignly worked through your life, creating you to be who you are, and then him saying, I will now use that, use you, though I have blessed you, I'm calling you into relationship with me, and I'm going to use you to bring others to myself. Do you acknowledge that call? Because that is the purpose of our lives when we follow Christ. Second to last point is this. Know that following involves sacrifice. Following involves sacrifice. Following takes us away from some things and towards other things. The, um, the brothers, as they were called, Simon and Andrew, James and John. James and John are in the boat with their father, Zebedee, who probably ran a fisherman company called Zebedee and Sons. He had uh, his, his two boys and then a bunch of hired men. Jesus goes to the lieutenants, to Zebedee's boys, and he says, hey, come and follow me. And Zebedee's left in the boat with the hired men. And these two boys are like, all right, we're going to leave. We're going to follow Jesus. They have to abandon their company, which is good, isn't it? The company in and of itself, fishing and providing food for people is a good call. It's a good job. They're accomplishing something in the world and they're doing good. They're engaged in a good trade. But Jesus calls them to something that is better. I want to point out something that I think might be lost here on a regular basis. When Jesus calls, whether it's these men or whether it's his call towards us, the focus needs to be on the self. The focus needs to be on the self. I think so often we we lose this fact. When they leave their boats and follow Jesus, they are saying, I need to make a decision concerning myself. Um, They're abandoning father and business and and leaving behind some attachments and and going. Um, They're they're focusing on themselves. So often, uh, as as kids, I can, or, or, or let me start that sentence again. As a child growing up in church, I remember singing a song, Jesus, then others, then you. What a wonderful way to spell joy, right? Um, Jesus and other than you. My brother, you remember this, right? Yeah, and I don't remember any of the other lyrics, and, and I don't want to embarrass anybody by, by singing them. Um, but we tend to think, no, 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 no. It's, 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 I, I, need to, I need to not focus on myself at all. I need to not think about myself. I need to think about Jesus first and then others. To which I would say this. When we put things in the proper perspective, self needs to be first. Self needs to be first in order for anything else to work. Let me explain what I'm saying there. They say, in that moment, when Jesus calls them, they say, following Jesus is the wisest decision that I could make. I'm going I'm to follow Jesus. I'm going I'm to leave my business behind. And in making that decision, in putting this decision first, the decision to follow God, everything else is going to fall into place. Right? What do they tell you on the plane when you get on? If you've flown, right? they say, um, 
in the unlikely event that we suffer some kind of catastrophe, you know, the oxygen masks will deploy. And then they say, put your own mask on first, right? Why? Because you're going to be trying to do the noble thing and to serve someone else. You're going you're to say, I'm going to put the mask on the person next to me. But if you are inhaling smoke, you are not able to help anyone else. And so when Jesus calls and says, follow me, they say, yes, yes, I am going to do this. And they orient themselves properly, right? We, we, can, we, can, we can make it super spiritual and say, you know, like, like that we need to put others first all the time. But so often when it comes to discipleship, or I would say all the time when it comes to discipleship, we need to say, am I living my life in right relation to God? Am I focusing on the self? Am I uh, taming the self? Am I bringing myself under submission to God? Am I reading the word because if I'm not reading the word, how can I be transformed and how can I be a blessing to others? Am I, am I praying? I need to make time so that I can pray. Because I can't just focus on other people if I'm not praying. Am I focusing on shaping my character and addressing my deficiencies? Am I being obedient? Am I following God? Am I focused on being a model for those around me? A model for my family? a model for people that I'm in fellowship with. It needs to start with ourself and not with others. Yes, when we are rightly related to God, then we can say, I serve God first and foremost. Yes, he can become first priority. But I need to make sure that I understand that I'm the one who needs to be changed and transformed over and over and over again. Second, following involves sacrifice. So often we need to give up the idea that we will accomplish something dramatic as well. These guys know that the work of fishing is going to be largely boring. Right? I mean, think about fishing. And, and if you love fishing, I'm not, I'm not saying you're boring. Um, that's not what I'm saying. But if you love fishing, you know that so often it's like bait the hook, right? Cast the line, put it in there, wait wait, wait, nibble, you know, is there something, right, you know, and you, you reel it in. It's, there's, there's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of ordinary time. And Jesus calls men who understand that they will work hard, they will need to be faithful, they will need to work over and over again, and often impressive things might not happen. They need to be faithful, though, and they need to do the work in the ebb and flow of normal life. And that's part of following Jesus. It means waking and absorbing God's word and praying and repenting of putting self above God. And not, not saying, how do I tame myself? And it, it means repenting of, of character flaws. And it means, it means saying, God, help me to follow you and to be obedient. And we do that on a daily basis, over and over again, so that when, when God puts an opportunity in front of us, we are ready and able to serve him in the way that he deserves. So much of the Christian life is normal. Think about what God created Adam and Eve for, right? They were to tame the garden, right? To, to rule over the animal and the plant kingdom uh, as, as God's agents in the world. And they were to delight in each other in marriage and raise children 
and walk with God in the cool of the day. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at that life, I don't see a whole lot of entertainment there. You know, there's no movies, there's no books, there's no amusement parks, there's no cars, there's no, like, all the things that we think are flashy and fun and aren't there. God created a world that was very ordinary, cyclical, daily. And, and, and I think that if we find that, if we find the practice of the ordinary boring, maybe we find what God treasures most boring, right? The life of, of being in communion with him and with others. Are we doing the hard work of resisting the lure to be dramatic or impressive and to just be faithful in following? It's hard enough to be faithful without adding the pressure of having to be incredibly impressive. Jesus is impressive. God is impressive. And we're called to glorify him. So as we close, let me ask the question, why are you following Jesus? Why, why do you follow him? Is it because you desire to be changed and reshaped and used? Or do you desire to be blessed and to have benefit? We see in the following passage from 23 to 25 that Jesus went and he did an enormous number of good works. He healed all kinds of people. He was no respecter of persons. Jesus didn't say, make sure you fill out this form. Indicate that you have followed me and repented of all your sins, and then you can get in line and I'll heal you. No, it said that he healed everyone. And whether that's being dramatic and, you know, uh, whether it's hyperbole and that there were literally no people who were sick anywhere, you know, that, that may be that there was no one, or whether it just means that, 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 that he had healed an enormous number of people of their diseases, that it is as if no one was sick. Not really sure. But when people saw that they could receive blessing, when they were healed, they followed. These men followed because he asked them and because there would be fellowship with him. Are you following God because of the benefits of following God? Or are you following him? Are you following Jesus because you delight in him and desire to be with him? I believe it's C.S. Lewis who in his book, uh, The Great Divorce, spoke about the fact, um, no, actually it's John Piper in his book, God is the Gospel. He says that if, if you could go to heaven and receive every blessing and be healed and be full and be satisfied and be joyful and be delighting all of the time and yet God is not there, he says you don't understand the Gospel. You don't understand it. Why do you follow? Is it because of the, the blessings and benefits or because of Jesus? Because here's the danger. John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. I think we ought to read that in quotes. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. They trusted in him. Why do you say in quotes? Look at what it says in verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust his, himself to them because he knew all people 
and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. They put their faith and trust in Jesus because of what they could get out of it, not for the benefit of being together. Peter will will demonstrate that he does not quite fully understand this. Remember, following advances by degrees. Following is is something that grows and develops over time. The the benefit of reward or being together, Matthew 19.23, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and they said who then can be saved but Jesus looked at them and said with man this is impossible but with God all things are possible listen to what Peter's going to say see we've left everything and followed you what will we have right it's it's he uses his his following as a as a bargaining chip as a it's 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 like he's it's like he's saying look at what we've done what will we get Will we be rewarded? Will we have something? But they're there with Jesus and he's teaching them and saying that he's never going to leave them or forsake them or abandon them and that they're blessed to know the mysteries of the kingdom and that they have a task and that he's reshaping them. What will we have? It betrays a a lack of understanding of, of what God is doing in the gospel. What is he doing in the gospel? It's calling people to himself that they would be in relationship with him. That we can leave our sins and our failings behind and be in peace and fellowship with the God who created us. And then he says, I'll transform you and use you to accomplish my mission on the earth. Look at what Jesus will say to his disciples as he closes out uh, his mission on earth. He'll ascend shortly after this and go to heaven and, and be there and has been there up until this day waiting to return. He's talking about being together with them and the mission. Jesus came and he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Go catch men. Go fish for men and women from every nation. Fish for children. Fish for the elderly. Fish for the poor. Fish for the rich. Call people, Jew or Gentile, to me. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Draw them. Bring them. And then he says, and behold, I'm with you always. It's about us. It's about our relationship with our Savior because he desires to be with us. He loves us. We should be in fellowship with him. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so, so as we uh, continue on in Matthew, we're about to, to move into the Sermon on the Mount which is the the ethical code for the kingdom of God, the the way that that the Christian ought to to seek to live out the the moral standard that God calls us to. As we enter into that, we need to remember that, that this is not just all about, it's not all about doing, it's about being in relationship with God. It's It's about knowing that we can rest in our fellowship and that the journey itself brings transformation. 
that we have what we need in Christ, that when we put our faith and trust in him, he makes us new, but that he will change us and transform us into, into vessels, into tools that accomplish his will throughout our lives. So let me just call you to commit to walk with him. If there's some area of your life where you have, you have let your discipleship or your obedience go, if you've just, you've given up on something, whether it's the, the desire to be holy or the, the, the battle of praying regularly or the, the, uh, the discipline of reading his word or, or the intent to, and, and searching for opportunities to share, let me urge you to lay that down at the feet of Jesus and to say, I will follow. And if you've never put your faith and trust in him, maybe you think, like, why would he accept me? Let me say this. If you are saying in your heart, I want that. I want that relationship with God. Then let me say he loves you and would have you come to him. So do that. Just repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in him. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. We pray that you would encourage our hearts in you. That we would not believe the lies of the devil that say that we're not good enough, smart enough, attractive enough, rich enough. That we've not accomplished enough to be accepted by you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is good news. We pray that that you would, by the power of your spirit, fire up this love in our hearts that we would pursue you fully and wholly and that delighting in what you've done for us and what you are doing in us, transforming us, that as we follow you, we would be changed and that we would be used by you. What an amazing thing that we are blessed to be a blessing. We thank you that you called simple fishermen. Not that they're poor or uneducated, but that they are just working class people who are out there doing the hard work and you called them and said that you would transform them. Yes, that means that we can all be used by you. And so may we, Father, surrender our lives that we may bless and be a blessing, that we may serve others as we serve you. Father, help us to focus on how it is that that we must change as we walk through this journey without becoming negative about the distance that we still need to walk. May we be positive knowing that you delight in change and transformation over time. May we walk the long road of being transformed into fishers of men as we follow you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.